0: This past weekend, the, the church very graciously uh, threw a party for me for 25 years serving here as senior pastor, and it was a great night and a great celebration, and I am profoundly thankful for it. There was a ton of effort that went into it, so everybody that was kind of behind the scenes working on that, thank you, special thank you to the uh, elders and uh, pastors who uh, kind of secretly planned so many fun things. It was a, a great delight and a joy to be a part of it. And I think it's just healthy in relationships to occasionally stop and to think about the relationship. We do that typically on chronological anniversaries of something. So birthdays, the chronological anniversary of existence. Uh, we celebrate birthdays or anniversaries, the beginning of a special relationship, maybe in, in marriage. You pause, you think about the relationship, you give thanks to God for it. And today I'm, I'm, I'm giving a, an anniversary message. And uh, so I want to take a moment, though, and I have some special people that are here today, people in my life that I want to introduce to you. Uh, and that is that I have several members of my family right over here in Uh, the front row, and I'm going to ask them to stand, if you would, because I would like to introduce you to everybody. Okay? This is the only time they've ever obeyed me in doing anything. (laughs) Trust me. But uh, you know Jennifer and my two daughters, Kirli and Madeline, are here, and then uh, my mom and my dad are here, and I'm so privileged to have them join in the celebration. (laughs) And then uh, I have my sister Terry and her husband Jerry. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Terry and Jerry. I wrote a song for their wedding, and uh, it went, uh, "They're Terry and Jerry, and that's not a little bit scary," is how the line went. And then their daughter Bethany and their son Jacob, as well, from Iowa. All of them are uh, live in Iowa, and they came. So, I want to acknowledge them and thank them so much for coming. Okay. I love that power over you, be seated. I better enjoy it now, it's never happening again. That's all I get. But uh, I love having them uh, here. And this message really is, is mostly a love message, okay? This is a love message from me to you, along with some reflections on 25 years of serving here as a senior pastor. I once heard John Piper, he uh, served a long time at Bethlehem Baptist, and after he had retired, they asked him about the relationship between he and the church. And what he said was, uh, Bethlehem was not lucky to have me, I was lucky to have her or them. And that really is what is in my heart and what I want you to hear today is my profound gratitude to you You have been my my family, you have been my friends, you have been my church community, that not only do I pastor, but I, I, I live amongst and I enjoy doing life with these many, many years. It has been a profound privilege in my life, and truth be told, I should be the one throwing you a party. In fact, why don't we plan on that, okay? At the 50th anniversary, Pastor Steve will be hosting the party, and I'm going to throw a party for you. Now, we may have to make the reservation in a room in heaven 25 years from now, or for most of us maybe here, or many of us, but let's just plan on that. Uh, You might be doing the math. What year did he come? I came in 1997, which sounds a long time ago, because it was a long time ago. I got looking online at some of the things that were true or happening in 1997 to give you an idea of of, uh, how long ago this was. In 1997, Bill Clinton was president of the United States. The Bulls had just won their fifth title. Uh, Google had just registered their domain name. Oh, that got you. That was the one you're like, whoa, that was a long time ago. Well, here's another one that'll tell you how long ago. Gas was $1.22 a gallon. And we all probably thought that was outrageous. There were no electric cars. There were no smartphones. Uh, the pagers were the thing. And I remember there was quite an active discussion amongst the leadership of the church whether I needed one or not, because they are, after all, so expensive, those Pagers. Our church facility was in Merrillville on Whitcomb Street. Some of you might remember this. And that was actually one way that I knew that God wanted me to come to this church is that Whitcomb sounds a lot like D. Whitcomb. And that was the sign from God that I was supposed to come to the church. So I want to do something right now for a moment. I didn't give the the tech people a, 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 a clue on this, but... If we could raise the house lights slightly, is that possible? I would like to ask everybody that was here in 1997 to stand. Would you do that for a moment? Okay. If you were here in 1997, if you're still able to stand, (laughs) would you please stand? All right, so these are the people that voted for me to come. These are the people to blame for all of this. But I just want to say thank you to you. It's been 25 great years with you in particular, so thank you, all of you that are standing. Please be seated. I hope you didn't pull anything as you stood there. So uh, a huge part of the story of Bethel Church is just the way that God has over and over abundantly provided for us. And one of those uh, provisions, so if I go all the way back to to the year 2000, we uh, relocated the church from D. Whitcomb Street to, uh, we bought this land here, and uh, we're relocating the church. And one of the things that happened was we sold that building and we had like, I don't know, five months or something to, to get out of the building before the new church was gonna take over the building. And uh, we thought we got to find a place to do church while we have this building being built, and we thought ah it won't be a problem we'll figure it out. So we sell the building we have a you know drop dead date at the end of the year, and we begin looking around trying to find a place to do church while we build this building. Well everywhere we're going we're like striking out, and there were 500 people in the church, which is enough people you don't meet at someone's home you know while you're while you're doing this and you know, no, 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 uh, we were, the list was small and we weren't sure what we were going to do. So one of our last hopes was Maryville High School. And one day I went there to meet with leadership at the high school to explain the need that we had and to see if we could use their auditorium uh, for a period of time. And at that meeting they told me No. We're not, no, we're not going to do that. And I just remember walking out of that meeting at Maryville High School, I was so dejected, okay? And I had to let the, the leaders of our church know what they had said. I think probably people were praying, we were hoping it would work out. And, uh, and so I, I, I went to the payphone. Now, young people, <laughs> a payphone was a phone that, it was connected to the wall, and it had a string to the, to the receiver. And you would actually put money into the phone in order to make a call. It was called a payphone. And so I went to the payphone to make a call, and I'm like, I have no change on me at all. And Maryville High School is a big place if you've ever been there, and my car was parked somewhere a long ways away, and I realized that I had to walk all the way out to my car to get a quarter so I could come back in and make a call on the payphone because probably all I had at the time was the pager, okay? And I just, it was one of the most dejected moments I've had in 25 years. And I just remember walking out to the car. It was raining as I remember. (laughs) And I walked out to the car and I just was like, oh God, what are we gonna do? Kind of a feeling, get the quarter out of the ashtray you know, in the car. Walk all the way back in the rain, back to the payphone. And as I am coming up to where the payphone was, around the corner happens to walk this guy who goes to our church. He goes, Pastor Steve, what are you doing here? And I told him the, so, you know, the sad sob story about how, you know, we have nowhere to go. We're like a homeless church. And, and I was here trying to find out if maybe we could meet here, and they just told me no. And, uh, and he says to me, he goes, why didn't you ask me? I know everybody here. And I said, well, if there's something that you can do, you know, have at it. And uh, within a couple days, we had permission to meet at Maryville High School, and we met there for 72 Sundays while this facility was being Build And it was really a great time. I see the cables over here every, every uh, Sunday morning early. They would pick up a trailer that had all our equipment and would haul it over there. I still remember that, still thankful for that. And we would set up and tear down, and we did that for a year and a half. And it was a, a great season in our church as we anticipated moving into this facility. And I look back on that, and God's provision, because I didn't have a quarter to make the phone call, and how God used that to open the door and to meet our needs. You know what God was saying in that, I think? He was saying to the young pastor, I got this, okay? And over the years, God has repeatedly made it clear that with respect to this ministry, I got this. And I look back over 25 years, one of my failures in the last 25 years is that I have worried too much about how this is gonna happen and how that's gonna work out and whether or not we're going to make it because uh, this is the Lord's church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and that story has been repeated over and over again. Which makes me say that in reality what we probably should be doing on the 25th anniversary is throwing God a party. And isn't that kind of what we're doing right now? Aren't we gathering together to say thank you God? We're so thankful for all that you've done, and we just, we we gather every seventh Sunday to basically do that. We're throwing God a party, and we're celebrating his goodness uh, to us. I also want to say this, that this church's ministry is a massive team effort, and I get to see, I, you know, I'm sort of in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the spot where I get to see a lot of these things happening, probably better than most of you, because I'm here all the time, and I see all of the people and the volunteers and the effort that goes on, not just on a Sunday, but our, our building is, is used nearly every day and night of the week. There is ministry going on and things going on and people gathering and doing Bible studies and serving in this particular way. And uh, it is a privilege to serve the Lord Jesus with you. And I want to highlight in particular the amazing elders, deacons, and staff of our church who do so many things that I think somehow I sort of get the credit for, but to be honest, I don't deserve the credit for. They are the ones that are doing so much of the heavy lifting around here. And I just want to acknowledge that and make that very clear that that's the reality here at Bethel Church and so I want to say thank you to our army of volunteers to say thank you to our our pastors, elders, leaders on all levels. It is a privilege to shoulder this ministry with you over these years. You have my gratitude. I love you and thank you so much and finally for nearly half of my life I have been here with you and this church has been my family. It has been a place of great moments in my life. I married Jennifer right here on the spot that I am, that I am standing. I dedicated two daughters uh, right here to, to the Lord and have done life with you. You've been my friends and my, my family all these years. I can't even, there's so many experiences, it's hard to over all those years to, to reflect, but I can say thank you. And I want you to know very much in my heart that uh, that I say thank you, and I say that on my behalf. I also say thank you from Jennifer, Cira,ly and Madeline. Thank you, you have loved us so very well. And today I want to uh, I want to just pause and to have a reflections over 25 years. Some of these are just things I want to say. Some of them are maybe uh, exhortations that I wanna give as well. So this is mostly a love letter sermon today to you, Bethel Church, with gratitude in my heart. I want to emphasize this is a partial list. They don't give me all morning. Uh, There is so much more that I could say, and if afterwards you're like, well, you know he didn't note that. Well, I could've if they gave me more time. (laughs) So it is a partial list. Here's the first thing that I wanna make very clear is that I love you. I love you, Bethel Church. And I believe that in a healthy relationship uh, that the, the shepherds love the sheep and the sheeps love the shepherd. Like that's the way that when God is working and the Spirit is moving and where things are healthy, that's the vibe, that's the feel. And I know that not just because of my experience here with you, but. We look in the Bible and we see that uh, in healthy church settings, that's the vibe as well. Let me give you one example. Okay, Here is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a church that he started in Philippi. This is in Philippians 1. and I want you to listen to the kind of uh, apostolic love language that he expresses in this letter. Here's what he says. You hear that kind of language in there? It's, it's easy to, to miss the fact that there is this affectionate, lovey-dovey, truly type language that he expresses to the believers there in Philippi. He says, it is a joy for me to pray for you. He says, I hold you in my heart with affection. Uh, and, and, and these interpersonal feelings that he expresses, you hear that In his heart, he genuinely loves them and he wants God's best for them. Now what is God's best? What do we see here? He says, abounding love, knowledge and discernment, moral and ethical purity, spiritual purity on the day Jesus returns. What do you think of that list? Is that a pretty good list for a pastor to care about? You can think of all the things he doesn't list that too often we do worry about. But here are the things that he cares about. It is their walk with God. It is the the depth of their love for Jesus. It is a growing, a vibrancy. That's what he is, is loving and in a sense encouraging and what I am doing as well here. Now, you might look at that list and think to yourself, well... I kind of like a job like that, where I get to be lovey-dovey all the time. And to be a pastor, it's, it's you like oozing love to them, and it's the people just oozing love to you. And what a great job that would be. It's love all the time. And you would need to keep reading in Philippians. Because if you keep reading in Philippians, as all, most of, if not all his letters, Paul moves on to deal with problems. You get, to, uh, you, you get a couple chapters later, and he says, and now I write to you, to you Yodia and sundiki two women in the church who were not getting along with each other, which is the only time in church history that's ever happened. <laughs> People in the church not getting along with each other. It's so rare. Never have to worry about that. And yet this is the story of the church from the beginning. And to be in leadership in the church means that there are constantly problems, okay? Even with healthy leadership, like the Apostle Paul, there's still problems. And the burden of that and the weight of that in spiritual leadership is probably more than most of you would estimate. Here's another place where Paul talks about what it's like to be a leader in the church. Here's 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. He says, and apart from these, from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So to be a leader, to be a pastor, is there a lot of love? Yes, there is a lot of love. But there is also a tremendous amount of burden and responsibility. And in my experience, it is the un- ending, unremitting flow of problems that constantly come that is the hardest part of what I do here. When I retire, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss preaching. I am not going to miss all the problems. It's very, very hard. And that's true of every pastor. I'm in no unique situation with that. And it was true of the Apostle Paul read his letters so people ask me sometimes, hey, how you doing? Uh, doing, And my, my regular answer is, it depends on what I want to think about. Because always there are things that are encouraging, and praise God in this church, there are amazingly wonderful spiritual things that are happening around here, and when I think about those things, I'm encouraged. But there is always, like it doesn't matter when you come up to me and say, how are you doing? There are always deep Burdens that perhaps uniquely amongst the leaders we know about, challenges in, in discipleship, marriages blowing up, whatever, there are always a list of weights and burdens such that I can truly say I never have a carefree day. Never. So Pastor Steve, well which is it? Is it is being a pastor a burden? Or is it, a, is it a blessing? Well, what if I said it this way? Pastoring this church is my greatest oblatunity. <laughs> ah, the old word. Some of you new people are like, he didn't just cuss, did he? What is that? What is he? <laughs> oblatunity, I've never heard that word before. Well, this is a word from a past series where we were talking about the greatest commandment which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we talked about how can God command love? Like, you can't just tell somebody to love. What do you mean it's a command? And so we talked about this idea that loving God is the greatest uh, obligation that we have. We are responsible to love God. We must love God. But it is at the same time also the greatest opportunity, the greatest privilege of our lives is to know God through his son Jesus and to love God. So, obligation, opportunity, mash them together. What do you get? Oblutunity. And over the years, we have used this word. It describes a lot of things in the Christian life that you have to do, but you also have to want to do. And so an opportunity is when, you, when what you have to do is also what you want to do. And life is filled with many opportunities. And pastoring this church is a great Great opportunity. And loving you is one of the great opportunities of my whole life. And so, thank you over the years for making it more of a joy than an obligation. Thank you so much. And by the way, keep that up if you could, please. I would greatly appreciate it. Okay? So, I love you. Point number one. Here's the second one is that God builds the church, not leaders. God builds the church. Leaders build corporations, leaders build winning football teams. But when you get to a church, all the things that actually matter are not things that leaders do. They are things that God does. Listen to uh, Mark chapter four. This is Jesus. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day And the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. Okay, so this is an agricultural parable, as often Jesus did. And he tells the story that really reflects my feeling on 25 years around this church. And the story goes that the farmer, there's something that he knows that he has to do. Okay, he has a role in this. He scatters seed in the field. And then he goes home and he goes to sleep. And he wakes up and he goes to sleep. And he wakes up and he goes to sleep. And then he walks out into his field and lo and behold, what has happened? They are sprouting. There's the little, the little uh, plants are starting to appear. And the farmer looks at that and yes, he knows he's scattered seed, scattered seed, but does he actually know and understand what this is doing and how? Well, we know more now 2,000 years later Uh, But certainly in the first century, that was a great mystery as to how seeds grow. And I know what I'm supposed to do around here. I am to preach the word in season and out with great patience and diligence. I am to love the sheep, counsel, direct, admonish, pray for, serve alongside. Those are all the things that, that I am supposed to do around here and have tried to do for 25 years. I forgot to add, and drink lots of coffee with church people. That's also very important for pastors to do. And the farmer goes out and he looks and all of a sudden here's this field of crops that have sprung up. He knows he has a role, but he doesn't actually know how it grows. And that's how I feel here at this church. I've done the things that I know that I'm supposed to do. I've gone to bed and I wake up, and all of you are here. What has happened? Some of you old timers look around here, if you were 25 years ago, and probably for the last 25 years you've been like me, going, I don't know what's going on around here, but we wake up, and you know, I feel like a farmer that planted a little vegetable garden, went to sleep, woke up, and here's a ranch with you know apple trees and fruit all over the place. How has this happened? It would be wrong, for you to look at the leadership of this church and say, that's why it's happened. We need to look at God and realize, God has made this happen. This is a God thing. And I'm not exactly sure how or why God decided to raise up our church, but it is God who causes the increase. This is again the point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians were kind of like the first celebrity-loving Christians Okay, like we live in a celebrity culture today. They had a celebrity culture in Corinth. And in the church, there were all these people that they were enamored with various leaders. Oh, Peter, Peter. There's another group over here. We follow Apollos. We love, we podcast Apollos. There's this group over here going, we like Paul. He planted the church. We're loyal to him. And Paul writes this letter and goes, who's Apollos? Who's Peter? Who's Paul? Did they die for your sins? And his point is, the heroes in the church are not the leaders, they are only Jesus Christ. And the celebrity culture of first century Corinth needed to die. And it's even worse today, especially in American evangelicalism, where we have our Apollos and our Peters and our Pauls. It is God who causes the increase. It is not leaders and it is not Me. Now, we have theological terms for some of these things, but really in the end, we don't know how God causes this to happen. The Holy Spirit does it. If you are growing as a Christian, the leaders of this church, we're we're just kind of scattering seed. We're not making anything grow. We can't. That is a spiritual power that God alone exerts through the gospel. We can't do that. I can flap my gums up here as much as I want. It, It does not guarantee anything. Just words. And so the bottom line is this, that no human being, no matter who they are, how gifted they are, or how long they have served, on their own, can produce one fruit spiritually in the church. And and I remember as an example of, of getting this wrong, I remember some years ago there was a marital situation going on in the church, and... And the, they were counseling with our, some of our counseling people. And it, it just wasn't going anywhere. And they were like, we want Pastor Steve. So the counselor said, hey, I mean, we're at a wall here. And they don't seem to be open to anything other than you coming. And so I said, okay, I'll come. And I showed up there. And it was comments like, oh, Pastor Steve, you're here. It's going to get fixed now. And I'm like, in my heart, No. I'm, a, I'm dust, I'm, just a, I'm animated dust, that's all that I am. I can't fix your marriage. What needs to happen in your marriage is a work of God, which God promises to do by the power of the Spirit through the gospel and as we submit to that will in, in our lives, but that is a God thing. Salvation is an act of God. If you are a Christian here today, Maybe God used some brother, sister, family member, friend at work or whatever to present the gospel to you, but the fact that you are under the grace of God is the grace of God. It is not the grace of the family member, the brother, the friend, the guy at work that did it. God works through means, but it is God working through means. It is not the means working. Now, I keep rolling this around if you're not getting it, but do you understand what I'm saying here? Our struggle, Paul says, is is not against flesh, but against principalities and powers. This is a spiritual thing. The church is a spiritual entity. It is formed by a spiritual power that God, through the gospel of Jesus, exerts. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It's the power of God at work. And praise God it is. I mean, if this whole thing depended on piles of flesh, it would not endure very long. And in God's kindness, God has increased our church's scope and ministry greatly. And we praise him For that. I feel again like a farmer who in 1997, you know, planted a little vegetable garden, went to bed, and woke up to a giant ranch. What has happened around here? God has made something happen. To Him be the glory. God builds the church, not the leaders. My second reflection. Here's number three, and that is that 25 years was a blink. 25 years! A blink. It's truly how I feel. A quarter century. Like I went, blink. Quarter century gone. Can some of you relate to that? How time flies. It's just like, I can't believe it. Like I'm, nobody's more shocked that I lasted here 25 years than me. I jokingly said, this is, more a, this is more of an anniversary of the fact that they couldn't accumulate enough votes to get rid of me. That's, this, is a, this is a vote. Uh, minimization celebration uh, that we have here. 25 years. And while that maybe is significant in the story of the church, I feel that in in the significance of the story of Steve. My life is very quickly passing by. And my encouragement to each of you is to realize that your life is very quickly passing by. By. Faster than you realize, you are going to get to some marker in your life, some age or some tenure, and you are going to be shocked, like I am, at how quickly this thing is going. It's challenging for me to think about the fact that um, part part of my responsibility in the next season here at the church is to get you ready for the next senior pastor, That looms for me here. I'm just throwing that out, okay? It's just the reality. Time and days slip by, and my observation is the older I get, the faster time goes. Would some of you old people agree with that? Now, you don't have to implicate yourself by nodding your head. But younger people, I'm here to tell you, you are going to be old quicker than you can even believe it. Now, I remember when I was young, older people saying that kind of thing, and I just thought, well, that's because you're old. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you, your life is passing faster than you can believe. And the Bible talks about this. Here's some verses about how quickly life passes. Psalm 103, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Now, that's encouraging today, isn't it? (laughs) You all are on the cusp of being nobodies. Here's Psalm 144. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Here's James 4. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, we read that and we think, you know, that's so true for those old people. I'll bet, I'll bet those old people, they, they're like, my life has been so misty, so so quickly gone. And we sort of compartmentalize and think that's those people. But me, I'm like here forever. Like My life is going to go on as it is for a very long time. And what I want you to realize, if you're sort of thinking that way, is that all the old people here, at one time we were young and thought just like you, and they have blinked, and now they're old, and you are going to blink, and you are going to be old, too. This is life. We are a misty, we're, we're a, a mist, we're sort of here, we seem significant, but we just very quickly, da, 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 da. off we go. My 25 years, it's, it's, I, I feel like it's like I'm gonna wake up from a dream that I was having about pastoring here for a long time and I'm back and I'm 30 again. Like I'm living some kind of a dream but the reality is something different. But I pinch myself and I'm pretty sure I'm not in a matrix of some kind. I am actually as old as I am. How did this happen and how did it happen so quickly? I wonder if our seasoned saints can relate to how quickly the blink happens. So what does the Bible urge us with the fact that our lives are so quickly passing? Here are some verses, some exhortations. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Ephesians 5, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The Bible says... It doesn't say ignore the fact that you are here and about to die. It says realize the fact that you are here. It makes every day valuable. Every day is an opportunity. Make the most of your life. I've been one of these people that I I like little pithy uh, sayings. If you hang out with me, I'll probably quote this person or that person. They kind of stick in my brains for some reason. And I was this way even when I was in college, and so my desk in college, I had these little quotes taped, uh, you know, around the, the the shelf, little things I wanted to kind of think about. And one of the quotes that I had, uh, I think I had it all through college, and I think it was Paul Beals who said this. He said, "You're only young once, but if you do it right, that's enough. You're only young once, but you, if you do it right, that's enough." And I have taken that approach to life to heart. Jennifer, here in the front row, would tell you that I talk a lot about my death. Amen? amen. It's such a blessing (laughs) on that very romantic date. But I've planned my funeral, and I think about my life and the passing of my life, and how I can make the most of my life. And I believe that to be a wise way to live. Are you doing that? Are you just letting your life sort of pass and not even thinking about how quickly it will be over? In fact, none of us know when our life will be over. But the days that we have are a finite number. And if I could just talk to young people here or youngish people here, you only get to do this once. You get one life. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to make the most of it? And you might say, how can I make the most money? How can I have the most accomplishment? How can I be famous? How can I be powerful? Well, as my mom had hanging on the wall growing up in our home, you, uh, only one life twill soon be passed. Can you finish it? Only what's done for Christ will last is a truth that we should all think carefully about as we easily fritter away time with entertainment and things that, in the end, in, in, in heaven, you're not going to look back and go, man, I wish I had more Netflix hours when I was on earth. <laughs> that was such valuable time that I spent watching some streaming service. In fact, if I could encourage younger people here with a a principle that I have found helpful. Project yourself into the future. Think about you 25 years from now. Or even think about yourself in heaven. And think, what will I wish that I had done someday? Now, this is not an easy thing for young people to do. It takes some kind of maturity or moxie to think this way, but I would encourage you to think about the future you and have a conversation with the future you. What will you have wished that you had done or how will you have wished that you had lived or invested your time? And listen to the future you and live that way now. Minimize the regrets that you might have. It's a very wise way uh, to live, and ask God to help you with that, okay? Help my life matter. Help me to live the life that pleases you. When I was a teenager, I memorized a poem that, that uh, got at this same principle, and it goes like this. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and I see his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way with me, but I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? He would have me rich, but I stand here poor, stripped of all but his grace, while memory runs like a hunted thing down paths I cannot retrace. O Lord, of the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Mold me, make me, break me to the pattern thou hast planned. Now, I could poke a few theological holes in that, truly. But the principle is the same one that I'm getting at right now. Your life is passing you by faster than you realize. What are you going to do with your life? Eternity is way longer than we can conceive. This is a misty little thing that we're doing right now. It goes on eternity forever. And imagine a church filled with people numbering their days, investing every day as best we can by the grace and the wisdom of God to make our lives matter in a way that the future us and most importantly Jesus will commend us well done good and faithful servant. Live that way now. That's I think my third reflection uh, if if you're keeping track. And finally, celebration looks backward Vision looks forward, and I want us to look forward. Okay? Thank you for the celebration. Nice to think about the things that God has done. But that's all set in stone. The life that we are living is much more about what lies ahead for us. And the Christian life is so much about new and fresh. Have you thought about all the new things being a Christian? Here's a partial list. New life, new creation, new heaven, new earth, new heart, new spirit, new song and other things, and we find that, the God, uh, that God is constantly renewing in a way that he is still a creator, if you will. He is constantly creating newness and freshness. And this means that to be a Christian is to be, and should be, we should be some of the most optimistic people on the planet because God has made promises to us about this constant refreshing and renewing things about the future, and practically, what that means for a Christian is we are thankful for what God has done in the past, but we don't live in the past. And for churches, what happens when churches live in the past or sort of say, we're going to sort of rest and, and coast here because look what God has done. They die, okay? They die. Churches have to be forward-looking, renewed-looking, trusting the promises of God, growing, expanding, etc. And this is what Paul talks about in Philippians 3. He says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the apostle Paul. Think of all the things he's already done. Planted churches, had a vision of Jesus, you know, become an apostle, written uh, holy scripture. It would be easy for Paul to go, the young people need to take over now. I have done so much. I think I'm just gonna sit back and rest on my laurels but that is the opposite of what we find in Paul. He is not resting, he is is striving, he is reaching. He wants to see the next thing that God wants to do through the ministry and for the gospel and for the glory of God. And I wanna tell you that this is very much in my heart. I do not want to be the old crusty pastor. And all my stories are 20 years ago. In fact, I heard somebody say one time, you can tell the, the the vibrancy of your Christian walk by how old your stories are. If you've got to reach back 20 years since the last time you served Jesus or any significant spiritual thing happened in your life, that means that your spiritual life is at a very low ebb. How far back do you got to go? I don't want to be that. I don't want our church to be that. I want to be the kind of pastor who's kind of like, pushing it and edging it and trying new things and, and, and doing whatever we can to fulfill the call that God has for us here in Northwest Indiana. I believe that God still has new things. In fact, I hope and, and, and desire the best things to be things that still lie ahead of us as much as God has been good in the past and we praise him for that. I think it was a Puritan who said the best, the best pastors are the ones that take the most people to heaven with them and I wanna take all of you to heaven. Did you hear that in the Judas sermon last week? I said that. I don't want anybody here like Judas to be around the thing but not be a part of the thing. To know about the grace of God but not be under the grace of God. And that is very much in my heart today. Would that God by his grace would allow every person here, everybody at our campuses, all you online people too, I wanna take everybody to heaven. I want you all to know and believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and to be walking with him in this life. I believe we have great days ahead. And I'm happy today to have uh, kind of an exciting thing that I get to announce to you now. So, back in June, we shared the news that one of our five campuses, our Gary campus, uh, was and is being spun off as its own independent church. And there's been tons of behind the scenes things happening, working, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, today I have two things to announce. So the first one is to announce the new name of the new church. And here's the name of the church, Flourish Church. In fact, we have the logo here, is going to be the name of this church plant where God shines and people flourish. Sounds like a good church to go to, I think. Okay, so that is the, uh, the new name. And also to share some very exciting news that two Sundays ago, a church in Gary that we historically are sisterly churches with, and there has been over the years friendly relations with, that this church in Gary, Grace Baptist Church, voted unanimously to donate their facility to flourish church. And so we praise God that they now have their own space. And so I have a couple pictures. Put up those pictures, if you will. Uh, so there's Grace Baptist Church. And I, uh, I'm also happy to tell you that um, in November, we're going to have a big work day there. And we're going to scrub and clean and get in there and you know, get some dirt under our fingernails and uh, and and get this place ready for flourish church to we hope flourish there, and we thank God very much for this provision and this new chapter for them. I think I already said finally, didn't I? Do that once already, and I see my time is fleeting. Finally, again, one of my favorite movies is. Mr. Holland's Opus. Some of you probably know this old movie. Richard Dreyfuss played uh, Mr. Holland. And the story goes that when he was young, he wanted to get into the music scene. He was a composer, and, and he wanted to get into the music industry. But he had to put bread on the, on the table for his family, and so to do that, he took a short-term job at a local high school as the music teacher and the story goes, and there's a lot to it, there's ups and downs and challenges, etc., over the way, but what was just going to be a temporary thing for Mr. Holland becomes his entire career. And at the end of the movie, not to spoil it, but it's been out so long I can. At the end of the movie, uh, there is a surprise uh, gathering of students and alumni, and they celebrate Mr. Holland and his whole career in that school. And as a special thank you to him, over all those years he had written and worked on a composition, a musical score, that was his you know, his, his masterpiece, but it had never been played. And they, uh, in the assembly, the, the, the curtains part, and here's an entire alumni orchestra And they give him the baton, and they say, won't you come up for the very first time and play this composition? And he gets up, and he leads as the composer. And everybody claps, and it's a really inspiring story if you haven't seen it. I don't believe it's based on a true story, but the movie represents everyone who spends a lifetime in one place, and we see in the movie that Mr. Holland's opus wasn't the music, it was the people. And as I stand here today, Lord willing, I'm not done yet, but there's one thing that I know, and that is that you, Bethel Church, are my opus. And I want to encourage us to keep composing together this musical score with the best music still to come. And I would suggest a title to the composition, It's All About.